Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, on Philippians chapter 2. Stick around at the end for some additional thoughts, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. Hey, tonight, you guys, we're going to ask a question right out of the gate. What man in your life has been an example for you to follow? Who's your role model right now? Who do you run around and look at? Is there anybody in your life that you follow, that you look at, and you go, that's a role model, I want to be like that guy, and you actually follow them. You pay attention to them, you mimic them, you look at what they do, you follow how they do what they do. You know, you see all these role models on TV, sports athletes, actors, actresses, musicians, there's lots of them, everybody's got them. And uh, a lot of times you don't even talk about the people you follow, but you follow them, right? And it's easy to do that. So who are you following? Who, who has shown you what it looks like to sacrifice and to serve others at great expense. That might be a different person than the one you're following. Who is that person that sacrifices at great expense? For me, there was a guy in my life, and his name was George, and he was my stepfather. Came into my life when I was 10. Um, He was one of those men I greatly admired. He adopted me and my three siblings when he married my mom. He gave us a home, he gave us clothes, food, vacations, and he had a warm heart. He was a big guy. He was stocky and strong and weightlifter. Uh, he was a neat guy. He wrestled with us on the floor. I liked him. He paid for my private high school that I went to. I went to military academy. I learned how to lead men in that, in that academy. I went to college. He paid for that. Gave me 5000 bucks when I graduated with a job to buy a car. I thought that was pretty cool, man. I just thought, man, that was, that was something And most of the time, he was living from one paycheck to the next, though. Money was tight for him, but he always sacrificed for our family. He always felt like it was the right thing to do to give up money and time and sleep so that I could get a good education. And he'd always slip me 20 bucks in my hand when I'd go back to school so my mom couldn't see it. Because when money was tight, he didn't want her to see it, so he'd be over there shaking my hand, putting 20 bucks in my hand. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, like, oh, and he's like, yeah, 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 don't let mom see that. I don't know why he stuck out in my head, but I really liked that about him. He always gave turkeys to the poor on, uh, during Thanksgiving. We would wander around and give out turkeys, and he'd hand out turkeys to the poor. And in, our, uh, in his business, he always gave turkeys to employees. You know what we always do now? <laughs> Haven't missed a Thanksgiving ever. Every employee gets a turkey, you guys. <laughs> I followed him. He was in World War II. He was on a battleship, the USS Badger. He almost died. He read the Bible on the radio. He was a Lutheran, and he went to church there, and he was an elder. Uh, He gave up going to this Lutheran church to go to a Catholic church with my mom because he wanted my mom to be happy where she went to church, and she didn't like the Lutheran church he went to. I just thought, I always saw that. Wow, why would he do that? He loved my mom. He just wanted her to be happy. He just wanted her to be content. And the last thing I'll tell you is I was... Uh, 11 years old, I was in sixth grade. We went to Canada on some trip, and we were at a theme park, and there was a roller coaster, and I, I'd never been on one. I'd never seen one, and my brothers and sisters who were older than me were eager to get on, and so they were racing ahead, and I was like, I am not getting on that thing. I'm scared, and he could see I was wanting to follow my brothers and sisters, and they were egging me on, and I was like, ah, and I was scared, and I just felt this tension, and he could see it, and I was really getting freaked out. And he just grabbed me by the arm and he said, I'll go with you. Just you and me, let's go. And I was like, what? 
And we got on that thing, and he put his arm around me. He was strong. He was big. And he put his arm around me and just squeezed me. He said, we got this, man. We got this. We can do this. And that thing went down that first hill, and I thought I was going to lay an egg, right? Like, I was like, you know, nothing was coming out. And he's just going, we got this. We got this. We got this. And we came up the hill, and I was like, yeah, we do got this. You know, then I was, that was it for me. I, I'm good ever since, right? So, but I remember that. I remember that because it, it just, I don't know, I'd never felt that. You know, it was 11 years without a dad, and there was this man next to me just holding me like that and telling me, we got this. And it just stuck with me, and I thought, that's the kind of guy I want to follow. That's the kind I want to be behind. George was my best man in my wedding, and he died three months later. He was the kind of guy I want to follow. You know, tonight Paul talks about the noble character of Christian men, doesn't he? It's a beautiful chapter, isn't it? These noble men with this incredible character. And so we're going to discover this idea of humility through these men and what men of character look like in Philippians 2. It's a good journey, you guys. And so we're going to break it into three pieces, verses 1 through 11. I think I got them up there for you. So three pieces, 1 through 11, 12 through 18, and 19 through 30. And it'll just be in those chunks. I'll break out those three pieces. We'll follow through. Um, and so we'll start in 1 through 11, and we get to see this, what I call a definition of humility uh, and a model of that that Paul presents to us. He's trying to show us what men of character have. And one of the things we have, guys, is, is humility. And he kind of calls it out by saying, hey, if you're united in Jesus, if you're comforted by his love, if you have fellowship with his spirit, what he's trying to say is, if you want humility, it doesn't come from inside of you. If you say you have it, you don't. You're clearly not humble. If you think you can get it, you can't. It doesn't work that way. Humility comes from God. It comes from his Holy Spirit. We're naturally born sinful guys. Our natural bent is to, is to get what we want. We're selfish. That's the exact opposite of humble. That's how we're hardwired. We are built and born selfish. And so he's like, if you think humility is going to come from that core, it can't. They, co they don't coexist the only place you can get humility is from me, and you have to be born again, and then you have to be born of the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes inside of you, you have to nurture that Spirit for that to come out of you, and I'm the one that brings that out of you. I draw that out of you. You can't do that on your own. That comes from me. That's his first statement. And then he says, be like-minded with other believers. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and love with each other. So you got to be kind of unified, you know? Well, unity with others helps build humility. It helps it happen to come about, right? Being in unity with each other. How? Well, we have to seek unity over being right, wanting to win, or wanting control. It takes great exercise and practice to do this, because you know when you're moving into a situation with someone, and you know what's gonna happen, and you're like, I'm in this, going into this meeting, or in this discussion, or there's just gonna be this moment with someone, and you have the choice, am I gonna be right? Am I gonna win, or am I gonna be in control? Which one of those am I gonna take? And there is when the problem starts, because you have to make the decision before you engage to say, I'm not gonna be any of those. What I'm gonna be is unified. I'm gonna stay connected to this person. And that's where the humility starts to get crafted because in your head, something has to give. You gotta give something up in that moment, don't you? The decision has to happen before you engage somebody else. And the practice comes of being humility, of saying, I'm gonna do it again tonight. 
I'm not gonna be right, I'm not gonna be in control, I'm not gonna win tonight. I'm gonna be unified with my brother or my sister. And that is doggone hard to do sometimes. But if you practice that before you step into engagement and you say, I'm going to practice unification tonight. And practicing that helps me practice becoming humble. And that's a character of a Christian man. You can do that. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit works. The other thing he says here is consider others better than yourself, looking to the interests of others, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. A humble man has to put the plans of others before his own. I hate doing that. But you know what, guys? Good leaders always listen to their people first. They don't look for their own glory. They listen for their other leaders first, right? Who is in my room? Who's in my space? Who's in my family? This is another good thing we do. This is what humble men do. They say, wait, the people around me that I'm engaging with might have better ideas than my own. The key word here is curiosity. When I get curious about what people want, I start to forget about what I want. Isn't that a cool word, curiosity? I learned this the hard way. I had a coach, I told my leaders this on Saturday, I had a coach for a while and he followed me around meeting after meeting for about a year. And it didn't take but a couple months and he sat down and he said, you got an anger problem. I said, yeah, oh, nice job, Sherlock, you figured that out, huh? Whew, man, you're sharp, I paid you for that? Hmm. And he's like, yeah, well, glad we're in agreement with that, but the problem is how do you control it? I said, I don't, I just let it fly. He said, yeah, that's great leadership. I'd like to see that more because that's really bearing a lot of fruit. And he's like, don't do that. What you need to do is when you feel yourself and you can feel yourself start to get angry, say in your head, I'm gonna get curious right now. I'm gonna get curious. And then instead of acting out in anger, ask another question. Could you tell me more? Could you say something else about what you're thinking? I'd like to know more where you're going with that. How could that help us? What could I do to help you with that idea? Could you explain more deeply what you're feeling? Could you help me understand where that might go? Get more curious and it will cause you to not be in conflict with others and it'll keep you from putting your plan first that allowed their plan to come out. And you know what I found as a leader? This is shocking. Usually their plan's better. <laughs> yeah, Scotty's worked with me for one. It's taken me a long time to figure that out. There's a lot of people that are around you that have better plans than yours. And you just don't realize that you think yours is the best. That's probably a fairly arrogant thing because that's the opposite of humility. Practice humility by practicing being curious. Humility will start to follow. And then Paul says, Jesus models the attitude we're supposed to have. He doesn't say act and do what Jesus did. He says, model his attitude. And it's curious, because you have to break this passage down and look at his attitude in these three scenes that he presents for us. And he presents his attitude that he had. You can't be Jesus, guys. You're not God. You won't hang on a cross. You won't die for anybody else's sins. None of you can do that, none of you. So if somebody says you gotta act like he did, you can't do that. But what you can do is look at his attitude and say, I'm made in his image and so I can adopt his attitude. You can do that. The first one is this. He fully understood his equality with God, but he didn't hang on to it. It said he didn't grasp it, which means he didn't hang on to it. What is he talking about? He had position. The purpose of my life cannot be to achieve position or status. And that is the one thing guys do all the time. 
And Jesus said, I had the ultimate status. I was the guy. There's no one higher than me. So top that. And he's saying, and my attitude was, no, I'm going to give that up. God, I'm going to give that up. And so if you want to have an attitude like Jesus, you got to look at the status that you have in the position and say, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm not going to chase that. I'm not going to pursue that. I'm not going to make that my goal every day when I wake up. I'm going to let that go. That's the attitude he's talking about. And we get caught up in that, you guys, this endless pursuit for position and status, position and status. And you know where that mindset ultimately leads? It ultimately puts you in opposition to God. We watched a guy do that. His name was Lucifer. And he got in opposition to God because he wanted what God had. And God said, there's only one place for me, and you don't get that. And he cast him down to the earth. And that's what happens, you guys. When you start chasing status and position and you say, I want what he's got, I don't have enough, you'll find yourself in opposition to God at some point. You'll be opposing the very man you think you're trying to follow. That is not good. And then he says, he made himself nothing, becoming a slave and like a human. I have to be willing to give up something else that I hold dearly to be like Jesus and to have an attitude like him, and that is power. Jesus had power. He was the ultimate power, and then he became like a slave. It said he was a servant. The word is doulos again. It's slave. It's not servant. He became like a servant, like a human, and he gave up his power, the authority he had, that position, but it had power, and he submitted to God's authority in that place. He submitted to God's authority. So the question I would have for you is, if you can't submit to God, then who will you submit to? And I would say that if you can't submit to God, you won't submit to anybody on this planet. And that's certainly not a humble place, is it? And submission is what we need in order to be humble men. And the last thing we see was obedient to God who required him to do what? He had to die to pay for your sins and my sins. So what do I got to do? The desire of my heart to match his attitude, the desire of my heart, the attitude I want to carry is to quit living in sin. I need to quit living in sin. I have to have an attitude that says I don't want to live in that place. I don't want to be there. I want to fight that. I want to resist that. I want to push that away. And he says, you have it. You can push that away. You have the power to resist. I've given you that. I've given you that power. It's inside of you. You got you to gotta want that. So that's passion. That's what that is. That's passion. He said, you got to stop chasing your passion. So this whole section about Jesus and matching attitudes is about giving up your position, your power, and your passion. And that's what we do, guys. That's our three things. Like, he attacked my game. That's my whole strategy every day. Like, he just tore the whole stinking thing apart. I'm about status. I'm about power. I'm about position. That's what I do, man. And God's like, yep, total failure. Doesn't work. Give it all up. Can't do that. That's powerful. That's what humility is. Humility is a hallmark virtue of Christians because it comes from Jesus. It makes us submissive to God and inspires us to put the needs of others as the pinnacle of our success. How about that? The pinnacle of your success is not the size of your business or the title you made or your 401k or your balance sheet, right? The car you drive, the house you have, the number of men's on your LinkedIn thing, your, your number of views on your YouTube channel, none of that is it. He's saying the pinnacle of success ought to be the level to which you serve the people around you. That's what a humble Christian man ought to look like. As humble men, we give up our tireless pursuit of passion, power, and position. And you know what America rewards? 
all three. You live in a culture that absolutely pushes, pushes, and rewards those three day in and day out, over and over and over again. That's what our culture rewards, and we're counterculture to that as Christians. So what will you give up this week? Just one thing to practice a single act of humble service. What will you do? That's what it takes. You got to give up something to, to do something, don't you? What will you give up this week to practice one act of humble service? Got to give up something to go act in humility. Verses 12 through 18, we see Paul describe how to develop our character. He tells the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. He says, working out salvation. That's interesting. Working out salvation is very different than working for our salvation, right? So the scripture we should all know, we should be very clear on this, is in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is go-to scripture, guys. Like, if you don't know this, start knowing this. This is like when everybody says, uh, can you earn your salvation? You go, no, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, because it says, blah, here we go. It's churchy, I get it, but it's right. Listen, for it is gr- but it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that so you cannot boast. You can't boast, it's not from you. You can't work out your salvation. Your salvation comes from God, Christ, it's a gift. It's a gift. You can't work for it, right? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Your salvation comes from God. You've been saved by God. It's a gift from God. And then he says, the bonus round is I gave you work that I prepared in advance for you to do. Out of your salvation, out of your saved state, I've got work for you. It's really awesome stuff. And it's meant just for you. It's, you're hardwired for whatever it is I've built. It's just for you, man. Like you're gonna be good at this. And I prepared it in advance. That's what God's talking about here. That's what he wants. After we're saved, there's this work he's got. And Paul's saying, you gotta get to work. Get to doing the work. Work out your salvation. He's saying more of work out of your salvation. Out of being saved, do the work. That's what he's talking about. Well, what's the work? It's not hard to figure out. Matthew 28, great commission. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses all over the place, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. So you gotta go, be a, go make disciples. You gotta be a witness. And then Matthew 25, Jesus says, feed the hungry, care for the poor, visit the prisoners, take care of the sick, right? James says, true religion is care for the widows and the orphans. How simple can it get? They're crystal clear what the work is. You just go get to pick one. God, which one of those is the place you want me to get involved in, right? It's right there. Those are the good works he's calling us to. It's not hard to figure out what he's asking us to do. Work out your salvation also points to the hard work of transformation of your character. So there's being saved, going, doing the work of of being saved, and then there's the transformation of your character so you can do the work, right? This is an interesting part. You can jump in, and this is the great part of serving, is when you jump in and serve, one of the first things you figure out is, I got some serious deficits here, God. And he's like, you sure do. (laughs) Yes, you do. I never forget teaching Sunday school sophomore year, sophomore kids, and I'm all of like 27. I've been saved, you know, for a day or something. And they throw you right in at the church I used to go. They're just like, jump in. You're good enough. You're close enough. And I got in there. I started teaching Sunday school. And that was a train wreck. Like, I was a disaster. I had no training, no skills. And I'm just doing dumb stuff. And I got out of there. And I was like, wow, I was terrible. 
But you know what I figured out? I needed help. So then I started going around and getting help. And then I started asking people how they did it. And then after doing that and cycling through Sunday school, I was like, I'm not good at this. Like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I stopped teaching Sunday school to sophomore kids. That was bad, guys. I probably don't belong with sophomores ever. It's just not a good match for me, right? Here's the deal. You got you to get into service so you can figure out what you're not good at and you realize what in your character is limiting you. What are most men limited by in their results? Is it their skills or their character? Mostly their character. We usually hit the ceiling of our skill set way, way long past our character runs into us. We've got skills beyond what we need. Our character is usually what stops us from getting anywhere. It really is, and we work on it the least. You know, I know, a lot of, I know not everybody likes my sports analogy. I probably I played a lot of sports. I watch a lot of sports. I apologize, guys. Sorry about the sports stuff. I don't know much else. Um, but John Wooden was one of the greatest coaches on the planet, and John always taught his young players character. That's all he worked on those young men was their character, not their basketball skills, their character. Shape the men, the results will come. And that's what Paul's talking about in this. He's work out your salvation, work it out, right? Get it, get it going, work out, change you. And what is that? Get the skills and the character in you that need to be developed so that you've got the skills to be who God's called you to be. Shape your character and stop looking at your results. America is obsessed with results. Results, 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 KPIs, metrics. Man, we measure everything. And I gotta say, I'm one of those guys. I'm a metric addict, sorry. Yeah, I'm an engineer, we measure everything. But results do not always, measuring results do not always get you the shape of the character. They typically don't. You gotta work on the man's character. The results will ultimately come. A good tree produces good fruit. That's what they're talking about, shape the character. So what is one character trait that you need to work on that needs to be changed in you? Most of us struggle with anger, lust, greed, comparison, uncaring, harsh. That's usually our list, isn't it, you guys? Tell me that's not on your list, right? Let me go through it again. Anger, lust, greed, comparison, uncaring, harsh. So for the guys that married, your wife's probably said one of those to you at one time, at least. Most of us have a few of those. What Jesus said, what Paul pointed out in Galatians was Jesus wants our character to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I mean, if you just started on the self-control piece for most men, you probably get most of what they need. Self-control is a problem for us. So what is one character trait you can work on this week? Think about it. How can I learn to be more self-controlled this week? Okay, I'm not eating any Oreos this week. I'm not doing the Oreos. Okay, work on that. Like, don't do the Oreos. Not with the sense because you don't want to get fat, because you want to develop the skill of self-control. I want to change my character so I've got self-control because that's going to help me when Oreos isn't what's on the line. It's stealing money. It's sleeping with another girl. It's cheating at work. There's something bigger at stake. Practice on the Oreos so when your character needs to be there, it's there. That's what he's talking about, right? So why do we need to do this with fear and trembling? Paul knows when we succeed at serving God, we're gonna, we're gonna get arrogant, and you will. As soon as you start serving God, you get arrogant. You start to think it's you. And God says, boy, arrogance is gonna fade when you stand next to me and you look at your position relative to mine. And the way God does that is he starts to put things in your life that you fail at. Things that happen in your life where you fail and you have no stinking control over it and you're just sitting there and he's like, 
See, I got a whole list of those. How many more you need? Is fear and trembling gonna happen here or are you just gonna keep thinking you can do it all? How arrogant do you have to get before you're gonna stand next to me and figure out I'm the one controlling it all and you should be afraid of me because I'm way more powerful than you are. Wake up. I'm gonna keep breaking stuff in your life until you come to me on your knees, broken and going, Lord, I can't do it. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And you should be afraid of me, not because I'm gonna hurt you, but because you're not me. I'm God, I'm in control, it's my plan, it's my people, it's my planet, not yours. So stop acting like it. That's what he's wanting you to do. And so he's gonna break stuff in your life, he's gonna give you pain, he's gonna give you heartache, he's gonna give you disease, he's gonna give you failure, he's gonna take your money away, he's gonna break you so you won't be arrogant and you'll come back to him in fear and trembling. That's what God does. And then he says, live without complaining. Oh my goodness gracious, this could just be the whole lesson, couldn't it? Right, this could be it. Instead, hold out the word of life is what he says, hold it out. And then when you do that, you'll stand out like this beautiful picture. Stop complaining, hold out the word of life. This is the picture he's giving. Complaining is a dark cloud that makes everyone feel dirty and it destroys the beauty of every moment, you guys. It's the lowest form of human connection. Complaining is the lowest form of human connection. It's so easy to connect with complainers, isn't it? They walk through your offices and they close the door and they sit down and they start going, did you see Bob? Man, yeah, gosh, can you? Oh, ooh. And your next thing you're like, man, I shouldn't say that now. Well, yeah, uh, he is an idiot. Yeah, a total idiot in fact. Oh, you know, I've got stories too. Oh my gosh, I never saw him. And then you, next thing you know, you're just blasting Bob. And, and, and that's what God says. That is bad, bad, bad behavior. It's the opposite of being thankful to God. It spits at God right in the face. Complaining is literally saying, God, what you've given me is not good enough. So I will complain. And what he's saying here, what Paul is saying, you rob everybody of seeing God when you do that. In Ephesians 4.29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up according to their needs. And in Philippians 4, you're gonna see, and he says, on these things, think these thoughts, noble things, honorable things, excellent things, praiseworthy things, hold out words of goodness to people, show them my words, teach them my ways, show them what you learned at Bible study, teach them the good things of life. When people complain, hold out the word of life and say, no, I won't do that. I give thanks to God. God is my king. God is good to me. God has blessed me. I have nothing to complain about. Absolutely nothing. I won't go there. I will not let that happen. I'm going to hold out the word of life and I'm going to say, no, my God is good. And he blesses me and I will not complain. I'm not gonna take anybody down that road. I love you, Lord. Thank you for all you've given me. That's the spirit he wants us to have, you guys. How can you catch yourself when you start to complain this week and instead share noble thoughts with affirming language? How can you do that? Catch yourself this week before you start complaining and just grab it and go, not this week, not now. I'm gonna share noble thoughts. They're gonna come out of my mouth. I'm gonna rehearse them. I'm gonna have a script in my hand. When somebody starts complaining, I'm gonna go, do you know what I'm thankful for this week? I got to eat Oreos because I didn't do self-control this week. I just decided I would be thankful. Be thankful, right? Be thankful. Don't let somebody start the complaining and you jump in on. The last thing Paul does is he honors these men who, have humble, who are humble servants in verses 19 through 30. 
we see this picture of Timothy and Epaphroditus, these beautiful words he uses, these pictures he describes of these wonderful men. And he says, we should honor a man like this, right? We should honor men like this. And so when I started reading this and I got through it, I was like, this is really cool. Who do I honor? Who do I honor? Honor comes in a lot of different ways. You write people notes that you honor. You send them a message. You call them and thank them and say, I really honor you. You know, maybe it's your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, it's a fireman, it's a policeman in your neighborhood, it's a nurse, it's a school teacher who's cared for your children, right? Who do you honor that are doing noble things and admirable things? Who do you follow? Who are the people that you follow? This is a picture, he's trying to give us a picture of people that we should follow. Who are those people? Who are those people who grab your heart and you should say, that's who I should follow, that is somebody I should follow. Another sports thing, I apologize, but there's a great basketball player from Michigan State. His name's Draymond Green, and he plays for another team in the NBA right now. And he was watching his two-year-old son play basketball in the, in the, uh, in the living room. And his, his son was flopping and screaming and crying and yelling every time he'd take a shot. And he'd get up and start screaming and yelling and flopping and flopping. And Draymond realized he was acting like him because that's what Draymond does. He's a big complainer. He gets technicals. He gets thrown out of games. He picks fights. He's a nasty person on the court. Nasty. And for the first time, he looked at his two-year-old son and said, oh, my goodness gracious, he's watching me. And all of his teammates said something happened to Draymond because he quit acting that way. And he went in and he said, yeah, my two-year-old taught me what it looked like to be a man with no character. So I'm asking you, who are you following? Are you following Draymond Green? Or are you following somebody else? Who's the guy in your eyesight that you should be looking at? Who's on YouTube you need to turn off? Who's in your social media channel you need to shut down? Who's the guy on TV you track too much? Or who's the other guy that you should be following? Who is it? Who is it, right? Like some of you young guys, you're running in these circles where people are doing things and you, you kind of make a living there, but is it really where you belong? Do you belong in that space? Is that where you're going to see men doing what men ought to do that are Christians? Or you should get out of that space. Where are you? Who are you following? That's what Paul is saying here. What men are you honoring? Because the men that you honor are the men that you will mimic. Your career will look like them and you will look like their character. And men of God should be following men of God. If you want to be a man of God, follow a man of God. Well, welcome to the back end of the Heart of a Man podcast. This is week number three that we're on. I can't believe we're already on week number three. I'm sitting here with Bill on the back end of an awesome week. Bill's going to share a few extra thoughts with us. Uh, thanks for being with us and for an awesome lesson this week. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. This is a this one pushed me hard, man. This is tough, you know, looking at our role models, looking at our character, man. Paul calls it out pretty hard here. And leans into guys like us. So uh, there's a lot to chase here. Strong language used. Yeah. Strong language used. A lot of convicting concepts here. So I know that first off, you wanted to share a little bit more when we talk about role models and who we let influence us. Can you share more on that and dive a little bit more into that? I can, Taylor. And obviously, I started off with an example of my stepfather, George, who was a flawed man uh, and certainly uh, wasn't ideal. But there is no ideal man, honestly. We all have flaws. But there are men who give their lives to greater causes and they pursue greater, more noble things. And, uh, and it's good to follow men like that. It gets me emotional when I think about my stepfather and, and uh, the role model he was for me and how pivotal that was in, in my life. And, I, and I, I really believe 
it's important for men to be conscious of who they're choosing to follow and not being passively stumbling through the American culture, just letting the culture and the flow of the culture shape who you are. Uh, American culture is all about power, passion, and prestige position. It's all about the things that aren't godly. And when you just let those things happen to you in a very passive way, man, you are going to be in a place that is exactly opposite of who Jesus is and who God calls us to be. And so you have to be consciously choosing who will I follow? Who am I going to make my life look like? Who am I going to let speak into my life? Whose words do I memorize? Whose behavior do I, did I, do I, uh, do I mimic? Um, that's a big deal, but I think most of us don't do that well. I think we just sort of, sort of passively move through that, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think it's good to choose and, and then pursue that. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, that's a convicting thought even for myself. You know, I'll throw myself and my brother under the bus a little bit here, but uh, we relate deeply by quoting The Office, by quoting Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute and these, these characters that are hysterical, but we can say their words with incredible precision. We know them, we've thought about them, we've heard them eight, nine, ten times all the way through the whole season, and so we can say them with incredible precision. How often and with what precision can we do that with Scripture and the words that Jesus has commanded us to think about and to live out? Uh, and and that's that's hitting me pretty hard right now as you're talking, because it isn't just the office. It's it's music. It's YouTube videos. It's comedians. It's it's all these influences that we are passively allowing to shape our worldview by allowing their words to be the words that dictate what we think. Uh, and and from what you've said, that that is an incredibly destructive way for us to approach the world uh, at the end of the day when we see it through a lens that isn't the lens that that God created for us to see it through. Yeah. And you do want to relate to people, don't you? I mean, you want to connect. You want to laugh. You want to have a, a, a fun uh, connection with people. But at the same time, that desire to be connected often leads us to make choices about who we follow that end up being people. I mean, the character of Michael Scott is a pretty ungodly guy. You know, he has no love for the Lord or passion for Jesus. He never quotes the Bible. He doesn't even think about that, you know, and to pursue that. Like you said, look where it takes you. It takes your mind. And that your mind is the only thing you have control over, you Mm -hmm. know. And so giving that away passively just because you want to make a connection certainly seems like a good reason, but the wrong way to go about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think you'd agree. We're not demonizing the office in not any way, all. shape, or form. I mean, I'm still yeah. going to watch it. It's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. and my brother and I connect on, and it, it's it's great. It's it's good fun humor at times. Yeah. But it needs to have its place, and we need to look at percentages of how much how much of what God is saying am I dwelling on versus worldly stuff, and which one is dictating the way I act. Yeah. Because one of the two is going to dictate the way you think, the way you act, and the way you talk, and you only get to choose one. That's right. So which one wins that position? Which one's your role model? Yeah. Jesus says you can't be a slave to two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. I mean, that's you nailed it. That's really good. Really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That is a deeply convicting thought, and I hope anyone listening will will take that introspective look at themselves and, and say, God, where... Where am I allowing the world to shape my mind and not letting the Lord to shape my mind? 
because what the world is saying is likely very different. Yeah, man, so good. Thanks for sharing that. And then I know you had one other thought as well on character, uh, and, and so I wanted to t- spend just a couple moments uh, on that as well. Yeah, I think Paul just, man, he just puts it right in our face in this text, doesn't he? He's like, man, your character is going to be shaped by somebody, you know, and it's going to be shaped. And the character uh, that you display is who you really are. It's what in your heart. It's 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 how uh, you act out um, what you believe is, is comes through your character. And he uses Jesus as a model of humility first and sh- says that character of humility is absolutely critical to being a Christian. But then he also calls out um, this idea of, of working out your salvation with fear and trembling and, and not complaining and following good men and men of, and honoring men. He points all that out and says, you know, these are the things that shape your character, you know, and uh, um, God does bring things into our life to shape our character. He allows bad things to happen in our life. He doesn't create bad things, but he allows bad things. This is a sinful world. And this world is the is the is uh, the place where the devil is the prince. This is the devil's world, and uh, and God does allow the devil to reign here, uh, but he doesn't create bad things. He allows bad things, and there's a big difference between that. But it, but in the allowing of that, he allows us to experience that because then through that we start to fear and tremble in front of God. We recognize His power, and it humbles us. That's a good thing. And the second thing I think is really powerful here is that character is the overriding thing we should be striving for. I need to change who I am, not the results that I get. And America is way too obsessed with results. Golly, geez, that's all we think about. And that's not what God cares about at all. God cares about our heart, what's going on with our heart. And that is all about who our character is, who we are at the core, you know? And so if we focus our life on developing character, honesty, integrity, uh, unselfishness, you know, kindness, gentleness, love, self-control. We work on those character traits. We'll be people of God. We'll be godly men. Uh, and people will look at that and say, this is a godly guy. And they won't be staring at our results all the time because that is so not what God wants. And so I think character is a big deal. I think as men of God, that's got to be where our heart focus needs to be is about our character and how do we develop good character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what the Lord is going to look at. He's going to look at the fruit of our character. The fruit will come on top of the character as the underlying foundation. Yeah, it's it's interesting to listen to your employees. I've got a lot of employees, and, and to listen to them, they don't care about our results. They care about our character. They don't reflect on the things that we've accomplished as a company, but the way that they've been treated and how they've been helped or how they've been hurt. And that's a character issue. Your customers are the same way. My customers never reflect on all our great accomplishments. They reflect on who we are as people. And that is really uh, an indicator of what matters, right? And that's where God's heart is. So that's yeah. where trust comes from. That's at the where end of trust the day. comes from, right? You know, mm-hmm. and so we need to focus on shaping our character. And we do that through small little exercises of developing those skills over time. And that's a great thing to focus on as men of men of God. Outstanding, outstanding insight. Well, thank you again so much for another awesome week. Uh, It really is special and we're excited for the next coming weeks. Uh, As a reminder to anyone listening, Heart of a Man, we have developed a new store, the uh, home store as we call it. uh, And that's our website, homestore.com, H-O-A-M store.com. Um, if you want to help support what we're doing and, and you know what we do has a cost associated with it, and one of the ways that we cover that is through selling swag. We got clothing, we got shirts, we've got 
uh, t-shirts. And so we sell those as a means of helping cover some of our costs. We are a formal nonprofit at this point. If you buy a t-shirt, it will help us. And so um, if you'd like to support us and what we do, please head over to homestore.com. You can also get there through heartofaman.org. But that's an area where, where you can support what we're doing. So thanks for listening and being a part of this. And we will catch you in week number four. 